0: Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast, brought to you as always by the crew at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, please check out services offered at nextlevelbrands.com workshops, founder coaching, fractional marketing, and sales resources, a whole lot more. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands. Well, I'm Steve Clare. Today, we're all excited here because I'm very honored to welcome Seth Goldman to the podcast. Seth is the co-founder and chief change agent of Eat the Change, a chef-crafted brand that helps people, quote, a snack to the future. Eat the Change has recently launched a line of organic mushroom jerky, and a vegetable-based kid-friendly snack. Seth is also the co-founder of Plant Burger, chair of the board of Beyond Meat, and he was, of course, founder and brand builder at Honest Tea, which some of you may know was recently discontinued by Coca-Cola, the company that bought it. We're going to talk a little bit about that and about what life is like for a serial entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thank you, Steve. Great to be with you. So a lot of fun. So many things. I am so glad to have you on the program. What I'd like to do is if we can start a little bit, let's go back. What was Seth Goldman doing before Honest Tea, before Better For You? So, yeah. yeah, And and how did that, how did it lead you to Honest Tea?
0: Sure. So I worked in after business school, I moved down to Bethesda, Maryland, where I still live and work to work for a a company called the Calvert Group it did socially responsible mutual funds, what we would today call ESG mutual funds. Yep. And I enjoyed the work. I was involved in the marketing and sales of that. And, you know, it was mission-related work. But I always had that entrepreneurial itch. I was kind of uh, getting entrepreneurially restless. I wanted to go out (laughs) and try to build something from scratch. And then it was just a question of finding the right product, and I knew it had to be mission-driven because that's—I I always think of myself as an activist more than a business person, and right. so for me, just business is the vehicle to, for the activism. And so I was just trying to find the right idea, and I literally had, um, you know, in business school, a classmate and I had had written a business plan and won some competitions around a, a diagnostic company, but that didn't feel like it really tapped my mission element. It was just a you know, sort of helping people get healthier, but it wasn't as exciting or or brand creative. And so I had gone up to New York City, this was in the fall of 1997, I'd gone up to New York City to give a presentation for Calvert to a bunch of institutional investors, very stuffed shirt, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of conservative group of investment professionals. And after the presentation, since I was in New York, I uh, and since I am a runner, I went for a run in Central Park. And after the run, I was thirsty. And when I went to a, a you know small shop just to buy a drink, I was struck by how there wasn't anything there that was going to quench my thirst. And of course, I was with a friend. I said, there's nothing here. And he said, what do you mean? There's hundreds of choices. I said, they're all the same. They all have the same sweetener, which was high fructose corn syrup. Of they course. all have the same calorie profile. There really wasn't the kind of variety I was looking for. And I recalled how when I had been at the Yale School of Management, my professor and I had converged on the fact that this was an idea somebody should do something about. So on my flight home from New York, I emailed, his name is Barry Nelba, I emailed Barry and said, you know, I remember that course, and I think I'm ready to do something about it now. And Barry had just come back from India, where he'd been, in the summer, he'd been doing some consulting with and doing a case study of the tea industry, and he had come up with the name Honest Tea. And so not only was he still excited about the idea, he had the perfect name and so that for me kind of brought it together <clears throat> a way it was really a license to build a mission driven brand so i i left the mutual fund world behind
1: didn't look back
0: and i had zero zero experience in the beverage industry of course like like a lot of beverage entrepreneurs by the way it's kind of a dangerous well, thing. if you had
1: the experience you wouldn't have done it no for sure right cuz you and would and know I would not done the, it the way i did it yeah, yeah. exactly but
0: Started out of my house with, you know, wrote a business plan, which people used to do back in the day and found a bunch of different varieties of tea that worked well, both hot and cold, and got managed to get an appointment with the local Whole Foods buying office in Rockville, Maryland. And at the time, there were 17 Whole Foods stores in the Mid-Atlantic and made a pitch to get into those stores. And and that was how we got started.
1: (sighs) Rolling in Whole Foods. I love it. (laughs) So... I think one of the things that's interesting and and, and and I'll put this out to the audience is kids don't do this at home, but you know, you, you quit a good job, you yeah. know, you, you roll a yeah. dice, you're going for this and, and and doing it and and you do it, obviously. So you started with the kitchen sink, and how big was honest tea when it was sold?
0: Yeah, so you, we skipped 10 years of hard
1: work. Well, no, no, we're going we're gonna to talk, <laughs> no, we can talk about that. I know, yes. no,
0: no, but just to get, make sure people understand, it wasn't yeah, an yeah. overnight success. It, no. It, we, we started with the, the, the tea brew to the kitchen and got into Whole Foods and then really painstakingly, you know, sold, bottle by bottle grew the business. By the time Coke uh, made its first investment in Honest Tea it was two, 2008, so 10 years later. We were doing 23 million in sales. We had become the top-selling tea in the natural foods channel, and we were growing super fast. We had grown close to 100 percent a year for. It was probably, I guess, our growth rate averaged around 66 percent for those 10 years. So it was, you know, yeah. just consistent, strong growth, and with more growth on on the horizon as more retailers and consumers were looking to, you know, get healthier or have
1: healthier options can you talk a little bit about now obviously that's a you know the point to point that's incredible but one of the challenges entrepreneurs CPG entrepreneurs have is the concept of scale yeah. and what it means so and, and a lot of them sort of reach a regional plateau or whatever they get a couple of successes they're in Whole Foods they're in Wegman's but then all of a sudden they can't yeah. go but yeah. yeah. so how'd you how'd you tackle that well
0: and that's a hard that's a hard point crossing over point because you have to cross over from niche to mainstream and you also have to cross over usually these brands if they are are gross margin positive it's a super thin gross margin and they have to get you know at, at that point the you know raising money gets a little tiresome and so there's a bunch that's the kind of that neither land where you're neither so large that you're profitable but you're also so it is a challenging dynamic there and for us we were fortunate that we really had such great momentum around so many trends. So number one trend was was this movement towards less sweet drinks, right? The, we sort of weathered the whole low-carb movement right. and, and yeah, so yeah. that people were reading labels and paying attention, and we were well-positioned there. People were also starting to gain some environmental consciousness, and we were the first to make organic bottled tea. So again, we were leading in that dimension. And organic seal actually was, wasn't created until 2002. So you know, we were helping to really mainstream that opportunity. And then we were also the first to launch a Fairtrade Bottle Tea back in 2003. And, and that was another thread where people are just trying to pay more attention, looking at things more holistically when they make a decision. And so we all three of those megatrends really helped drive our brand. And then, you know, that said, we were still super scrappy. You know, we had a wonderful team of passionate people who found creative ways to get attention, most of them, they were all legal, but they were sometimes, you know, question, you know, on, on the border and <laughs> yeah, just, you know, fun entrepreneurial stuff. That's for us, you know, was the, the part of our whole culture was like, we've got to be opportunistic. And so, you know, we made it through that very, and, and of course we, we also had to continue to raise money, but you know, what I always tell entrepreneurs is investors will buy, invest in growth. So if they see you growing and growing, you know, you, you may not have, Super great gross margins, but if you continue to improve them, then you have a great growth story, and 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 you obviously have to give people a reason to believe there will continue to be a great growth story, and and you know that's kind of what's ironic as we just look ahead to Coca-Cola's decision, because I don't think anybody out there thinks that organic bottled tea or less sweet drinks won't continue to grow. Um, so right, right, you know, we're so we're still feeling as we prepare to launch our new iced tea. Brand within within the umbrella of Eat the Change, we just we we've just taken on some new investment capital, and our investors
1: are super excited for what they see on the horizon. So, Seth, talk for a minute about it's every entrepreneur's dream, right? The phone call comes in, the email comes in, whatever from Coca Cola. Coca Cola already had an interest. Right. When did that? Then all of a sudden, somebody in the C-suite says, "Hey, why don't we just buy the rest of these guys?"
0: Well, it it actually was the first call that really was the one because once once they took an interest, they you know wanted they made it clear they wanted a path to acquisition. So it was in in 2000, I guess it was really 2007 that I got reached out to by someone who worked within Coca-Cola, someone who I had known from a previous role he had worked in a different company. And said, you know, Coca-Cola has just created this venture group where our our aim is to help invest in and build the next billion-dollar brands. And we've identified, we went through a process of looking where where the future is and where the trends are. And we had over a thousand brands we looked at and we whittled it down to 200. And then we got to 70 and then to 10 and then to (laughs) one. And Honesty was the one that we felt had the best opportunity. And would you be open to a conversation? And I said at the time, well, yeah, happy to have a conversation. We're not looking to sell the business, but we are looking to scale it. And if 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 Coca-Cola is open to that, then let's talk. And and so that was that was how that happened. And it was good that we weren't looking to sell. Uh, you know, even now, as I sort of look back, and of course, it, uh, you know, now that we know Coke discontinued it, but it was important for us to continue to have custody of the brand as we scaled it.
1: Yeah, and and, and have that that influence or whatever. So can I ask you? What went wrong? What, what did what did Coke do?
0: Well, a few things. And by the way, you know, Honest Kids is still um, yeah. part of the Coca Cola portfolio yep. and, and very successful. And that's a brand that will continue to scale. So, you know, from Coke's perspective, they didn't lose money on the investment. And from my perspective, I didn't lose all the impact that I cared about. And you know, yep. But I think in retrospect, Honest Tea was probably too small for Coca Cola to really scale it effectively. Okay, and so. You know, 20, 23 million may sound like a lot to a entrepreneur getting started, but to, but, a, big com- but to a big company, you've got yeah. to sort of be, you know, at least a hundred million for them to, to really do something with it. And so, you know, that's, what's exciting as we put together our plans to, to launch Just Ice Tea, we certainly have eyes on a much larger prize and, and we're, we're feeling really bullish about our uh, ability to, to capture it.
1: That's awesome. Okay, so let's. Well, now we'll fast forward. So, Coca Cola <laughs> deal's done, and you've got a little time on your hands. Did you do a little R and R? No, I didn't no. ever really have okay. time
0: on my hands. That's a myth. I so Coca invested in two thousand eight. They bought the brand in two thousand eleven, and from two thousand eleven through two thousand fifteen, I continued to really run the business full time. And it was, you know, it was a lot of work. We were scaling. We grew from remember 23 million. By the time I transitioned out of my full-time role, we were at about 170 million. So, you know, that's a lot of growth and a lot of work oh, yeah. to do that. But in 2015, I did look to make a change. what I did was I managed to persuade both Coca-Cola and Beyond Meat, where I, I had been a board member, to let both companies allow me to play a role as halftime with each. So I worked for Coca-Cola, right. you know, continuing to shepherd. Honesty, but not running the business the same way. And at Beyond Meat, I took on the role of executive chair, working with our CEO Ethan Brown to help scale the business internationally and to help eventually, you know, grow it to take it public. And working with investors on the financing of that. And so those were some. That was a lot of challenge and fun. and, And you know, in 2019, we took Beyond Meat public. And then at the end of 2019, I announced that I was going to be stepping away from my role at honesty and coca-cola and that freed me up to, to do new things in 2020
1: wow okay so busy busy busy
0: <laughs> yeah i still haven't found that time to do the r and r but i think it's a little over
1: around the world <laughs> thing or something i don't know so talking about the better for you categories or whatever else we've kind of gone through but not that we're all the way through it yet but we've kind of gone through a major shift due to the pandemic Yeah, which has had some obviously very bad, terrible effects. And on the other hand, if you're in the space where people are paying more attention to what they're ingesting in their bodies and et cetera, et cetera, there's a silver lining to that whole pandemic effect. How did it affect what you were doing and what was the reaction to it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So interesting, you know, a lot of sort of mixed impacts. So with respect to Eat the Change, it, it made it clear that 2020 was not the year to launch a new brand. Like I'm like, so I did. I, I just I, what it allowed me to do it gave me the luxury of really being able to think deeply and intently about what kind of brand I wanted to create. And you know for me, it, it had to be around climate change. And by the way, I wasn't going in guaranteed thinking it was going to create a brand. I was thinking about what do I want to do? And so part of me... One thread that I explored and, and ultimately, obviously, didn't do was think about politics. You know, if I want to make change happen and the issues I care about, should I be running for office trying to do something about that? Wow! And I, I decided instead that launching an impact brand would be a better use of my talents, and and so that led to the creation of Eat the Change, and it also led to my involvement with Plant Burger that had gotten underway, and, yep. and joined as a co-founder there, and I think. Part of what the pandemic did is it did cause people to to think a lot, rethink a lot of aspects of their life. Obviously, they re examined their work habits and wow. their work lo- location, but they yep. also re examined their diets a bit. You know, I think the, the counter to that is that you know, the inflation that we've had recently probably is a maybe a little bit of a negative force where people are like, I, I don't have the luxury to think about that because I got to make sure I can afford <laughs> to eat right.
1: Oh, exactly, yeah, yeah. for sure.
0: So, so a little bit of, you know, gives and takes there in terms of it, but I overall do think, you know, what's happened recently has certainly encouraged people to think more holistically about the way they live, the,
1: what they eat and, and, you know, their overall footprint on the, on the planet. I I don't want to use wrong terminology, but I want to talk about meat substitutes. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of have two directions going on. One, obviously plant-based and the other cellular. Yeah. Right. Okay. Meat, yeah. How does how does that look to be playing out, and what are the challenges right now in meat substitution altogether?
0: Yeah, and I, um, I'll just call it meat alternatives, because okay, yeah. But look, plant based meat is has grown dramatically. You know, over, if you think about basically in 2016, the Beyond Burger didn't even exist, and now it is occupies, and plant based meat as a whole occupies shelf space in virtually every grocery store in the country in the meat section of the stores. So that's a huge transformation. Cultured meat is still on the horizon. And I've heard it said, you know, it, 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 cultured meat, you know, they used to say this about hydrogen power, hydrogen power will be great, has great potential and it always will have great potential. You know, so, so cultured meat is not yet some, it's not a factor yet. And so we really it's hard to have a theoretical conversation about it, except to say that not only do they have to figure out the science, which I think you know they're making progress on, but they also have to figure out the marketing, because it's not clear to me that a consumer will automatically accept a meat that's been cultured, if you call it lab-grown meat, there's going to have to be a level of disclosure. And as people start to learn about the process, and I don't know all the science behind it, but you know what I know about growing mediums in labs is you often need a lot of antibiotics you need growth hormones and so as you start to right, right. yeah put these things and you you know you you have to remember the consumer has the option to buy something from an animal which does you know, maybe if it's organic so then what's necessarily better you know by contrast what I'll say about plant-based meat and the reason I've chosen to make my bet there is that plant-based meat now it has has continued to progress both along a lot of levels. So from a taste perspective, it's certainly much closer to animal meat than it was when it launched right. six years ago and gotten better and, and will continue to get better. From a nutritional perspective, it's, I would say, comparable and possibly even superior. From an environmental perspective, it's dramatically advantaged. We know that. I mean, 99% right. less water, 93% less land, 90% fewer greenhouse gases in contrast to a beef burger, You know, from what you see with the Beyond Burger. And so, what's the, the, the mountain that is still being conquered is price. Right now, plant based meat is, you know, when are up from 50 to 75% more expensive, but it's continuing, the price gap is continuing to close. Good, good and down. so, yeah. when you, a few years from now, when you get to a place where these things are comparable, and, you know, I guess I wish I, I, wish I could say that environmental problems will continue, but we, we've seen, we're in a climate crisis basically. Almost every month, you know, uh, yeah. certainly what's going on in Kentucky would, would and people would say that's the case. So then you get to a place where consumers might start reexamining well, wait, why do I need the animal meat if i'm if I can have a product that is effectively a substitute in so many of the parameters that matter. so i i'm I still think plant-based meat is is the, um, has tremendous promise for the future.
1: You're also working with mushroom jerky. Yes. And which is awesome stuff. I mean, thank it's, you. It's really, really good. And, and other plant based snacks for kids is the snacking thing because we've also seen this trend of snacking That's becoming a, a meal replacement.
0: Yes. Yeah, they call yeah. it the snackification of the American diet. And That's so it. what there happens. People are having fewer meals, but they're snacking more. And so, and, and they know that they need to eat healthier snacks, they just don't have as many options. And so we found some really startling data. One of the things I've seen is that 90% of American adults aren't eating the recommended daily allowance of vegetables, and 93% of American kids aren't either. So between the mushrooms, and then we've also launched a carrot snack, we want to make nutrient dense foods more available, more accessible, and more delicious. You know, it's hard to sell you know, there's a, there's a place for raw carrots in the diet, but it's, it's, it's tough to eat that all the time. So let's yeah, find taste, taste wins. Yeah. yeah. Let's make delicious foods available in convenient forms and delicious forms. And so, so that's to, some of what we're doing. And, and so, you know, the plant-based meat has this place, but so do whole foods like, like a carrot snack
1: that can also just be enjoyed uh, yep. and snacked on. And it, it's interesting me, I was at a trade show a little while ago with my client, Sunrise Fresh Dried Fruit, talking to people at school districts. And the woman is talking about, you know, they do 100,000, 150,000 meals twice a day, right? So they're doing breakfast and lunch, trying to find substitutes for things full of salt and sugar and whatever. Mm-hmm. And sort of at the end, she goes, yeah, and we're really, we're really having to look at a third meal option. And I went, wow. oh, my God, our school districts are looking at having to feed what the child gets for the entire day. It's crazy, but clearly they're looking at it. It's just amazing. So we got to have have some help there. And healthier snacking would be a great way to do that, especially if they can take it with them. So they don't have to like sit down in the cafeteria and eat it. They can take it with them, have it when they, they feel a little hungry or something. What's been that challenge in terms of, you know, is conventional grocery now more open to better for you products? Or do they say well we're going to stick the mushroom jerky in the same line with the beef jerky and that's it
0: they're open to it but you know conventional grocery is a is a, is not a cheap date it is a costly <laughs> undertaking so you know a lot oh, God, of entrepreneurs yes. look at it and the distributor fees the retailer fees the losses the it's just a, it's it is a it's not for the faint of heart so no, no. it certainly favors the big players the companies with deep pockets and yeah. and you know we're relatively well Finance because of my previous experience, but it's still hard to break into these things. And of course, when you're creating a new category like we are with a carrot snack or a mushroom jerky, um, that's even harder because you know you've got to you've got to invest a lot to create awareness, to create trial. One of the treats we all know, you know, we've already seen as we get ready to launch just iced tea, is how how receptive retailers are to it, and we know consumers will because it's an established category now. For Honest Tea, twenty years ago, it wasn't an established category. But because that groundwork has been laid, it, it will be easier for Just Ice Tea to get traction more quickly.
1: Absolutely, and get up there. I think yeah. it's one of the things again people don't necessarily realize about how expensive it is to try to get the distribution conventional grocery wise, and in many cases, take Coca Cola's interest and in then acquisition of Honest Tea. So you'll say, "Well, that's a heck of a lot of money." You say, "Yeah, but if Coca Cola started out one day." And a brand manager said, "Hey, I want to launch an organic, mm. one a tea. What it would cost them to do that was yeah. maybe cheaper to invest in Honest Tea and well, then just acquire yeah. it."
0: The other thing is they, and I've just seen it repeatedly. They're not good at innovating. They don't have the entrepreneurial bones and, and DNA, and so even when they try to do something internally, they assume that their size advantage will give them the competitive advantage. But it doesn't. Right. right. And we just I've seen that time and again. Yep. These big companies just they they don't innovate the way the entrepreneur does. They don't have the passion. They don't have the they have the kind of safety net where uh oh, it doesn't work out, we'll just go manage, you know, some other brand. The entrepreneur is like, there's no safety net.
1: <laughs> I, I have to do it. Um, if if you're a smaller entrepreneur out there, Seth, let's talk a little bit about the balance between mission and product. How do you do that in terms of Building the company, and more, most importantly, probably is how do you present that to investors uh, once well, you're the done. Most, with the yeah, age.
0: the most important thing for the entrepreneur is you've got to make sure your proposition is different and better than what's out there. You know the, the where I see entrepreneurs run aground is often because they're just doing a me too, and the marketplace is too competitive for me too products. Right. You've got to have something that's not there. If, it, if, if it's already out there then you have to compete with usually money and and that's something the entrepreneur doesn't have so you've got to first start with really double down and and, and you know here's what isn't better and different is oh it's t- my salt you know my salsa tastes better than anyone else's like I, I wish that the marketplace rewarded that but it doesn't taste is a, it's key and it's table stakes but just having better taste isn't enough it's got to have a novel ingredient or a novel package, or it's got to have some other
1: competitive advantage. And I think sometimes the entrepreneurs overlook that. Has the ability to be able to sell and be able to interact directly with the consumer now through Amazon and other platforms, what's that done for the the business?
0: Yeah, it, it allows people to have these more direct relationships, which I think is really neat. We haven't done it that much at Eat the Change because we've had such supply challenges over the past year. We haven't really been able to set up our online component, but we will over the coming months. We'll do that. But by the way, it's kind of interesting with our, our Just Ice tea line, we will not be selling that direct over the internet because it's you know my conviction that a glass bottle is not, a, you should not be selling glass bottles through the mail. It's between the packaging needed and the energy wasted. Yeah, I'm, and if we we can't call ourselves a planet-friendly company, and then claim to be doing, you know, it, but we're going to sell these things through the mail. Right, you need a big truck. Yeah, it's got to be the most energy-efficient distribution is through retail stores, and, and so that's how we'll be distributing it.
1: Uh, and, and obviously, going through because Coca-Cola kept Honest Kids and had that part of the line and whatever. There was not an opportunity for you to get the brand back. Right, but. What made you decide to launch another to launch just ice tea? Yeah.
0: My first reaction was obviously disappointment and shock about the decision, but it wasn't so, oh, I got to get back in. It was just, oh man, I can't believe that happened. Uh, and at first I didn't see a natural integration with what we're doing at Eat the Change because we're in the snacks, food business. And But then what happened was I started getting approached by other um, friends in the natural foods industry. Who said hey we want to launch you know nice tea brand we'd love to have you be the face of it and i thought "Well, wait a minute why do I, why would i be the face of it I've, I've got the team the team i have at eat the change is the team that built Honest tea. so we should yep, be the doing team. this yeah. yeah and so uh, as we started to have that mindset we just found all of the supply chain the tea gardens the bottle suppliers the packagers even the distributors and retailers came to us say hey we really want you to <laughs> launch a and I also, the most motivating to me was that I heard from the tea gardens where they were worried that, you know, we made this decision to invest in organic and fair trade sourcing so many years ago, partially because you sold us on this. And we don't want to think this was a failed experiment. And then I just felt horrified if, you know, this idea that they would ever regret making that decision
1: the comes back to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: it came back to bless me. It came back, you know, to ins- inspire me more. And so, you know, what's these, so we've got these same tea gardens selling us tea and we're going to, you know, thrill to, to grow and, and demonstrate this wasn't a failed experiment.
1: Exactly. You, you mentioned team. Can you talk a little bit about that original team? Or oh yeah. Who, who did you put together? I mean, you had, you had your, your partner that had the Honest Tea name or whatever. Oh, my but-
0: co-founder Barry is, is on the board of Eat the Change and he's signing the label with me along with my co-founder, Chef Spike Mendelson for, you know, the bottle, but. From a sales organization, I have incredible folks. One woman named Melanie Nitzer started with Honesty in 1998. And when I was growing this, you know, decided I want to launch Eat the Change. Melanie came back on and she is calling on so many of the same retailers and distributors, but with so much more experience. And then I've got uh, two other pe- people who are her colleagues, Rick Tidrow and Becca Ray, who also covered the country in the natural channel for Honesty. And they're they're with us again. So I think for me, this whole experience is a lot of it is a lesson in karma where you treat people <laughs> right and and you know they'll want to continue to be around you. We've got a great marketing team, a woman named Kelly Cardamone who built Honesty here first in Bethesda, but she even launched it, helped launch it in Europe when, when Coca-Cola was taking it there. So you know, people who know a lot about the mission, who know a lot about branding and who know a lot about who i have my total confidence in their ability to 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 work um, entrepreneurially and effectively really i feel so lucky you know to have these kind of folks back with me on the team
1: it's a, it's a lot of fun are are you looking at so to to grow out eth change you're going in several directions yeah. right it's a bunch of different buyers it's a bunch of different processes or whatever let let's look in the crystal ball Five years down the road, ten years down the road, what do you want it to be? Yeah,
0: well, so by the way, in the natural channel, it's a lot of the same buyers, or or their buyers who maybe share a desk or something. So, so what we're trying, yeah. what we're trying to create is a, is a foundation brand, a, a family of brands all under the Eat the Change umbrella, so that Eat the Change becomes the authoritative brand for planet friendly eating. So, you know, if a parent is looking for a drink, they'll know to look for an Eat the Change is going to be nutrient dense and healthier. And if they're shopping for their family or for their kids, they'll know that Eat the Change is going to offer something they can trust in terms of the sourcing from the planet perspective and also from a nutritional perspective. And we really do want to cover multiple occasions and everything we sell will be organic. You know, we think of it as whole food based. It's not, we, we aren't processing, you know, the, the processing on what we do is very light, right? It's, right. you know, so the mushrooms, you can see The mushroom jerky—you'll see mushrooms now. They'll be marinated and smoked, but they still appear as mushrooms.
1: Right. I want to. I want to know what that is. I don't want to see a. Yeah. Yeah. Put it. Do you think that there's going to be? So we're we're sort of at a a somewhat more critical time period here right now in the fact that grocery prices in is the inflationary driver. Right. Fuel has gone down, whatever, but, but grocery prices and all things involved. Hopefully, we learned in supply chain management a little bit about how just in time maybe isn't exactly the ultimate mm-hmm. of what we should be doing maybe just in time but a little slack or or you know whatever mm-hmm. uh, how do you think the supply chain thing is going to evolve from this now and as a manufacturer how do you deal with that with your suppliers
0: yeah it's still hard you know we we still deal with the truck you know something that was supposed to arrive doesn't make it in time and then you have to do a fire drill and I hope everyone sort of, you know, understands from this that, you know, we've got to add a little more cushion to it. it I will say retailers are, they're not happy, but they're a little more understanding because it's happening to everybody. So it's not like, you know, oh, you're the only company who I can't get my product from. It's just sort of where we are. And of course, a war, you know, in Ukraine doesn't help when there's such a major source of, of sunflower oil and, and grains. Yeah. But I, I think it's, you know... People are getting a little smarter and hopefully a little more effective at planning. But it's when you—it's easy to be frustrated. You go to the store, they're out of something. When you look at it in the larger scope and you realize that basically, you know, these foods are grown all over the world, and you can have almost anything you want almost any time. It's kind of phenomenal. So, frankly, we were a little spoiled before, and it's you know we're still able to get you know, 98% of what we want when we want it. So I think this is just a little bit of a hiccup. And, and I think as, as the world normalizes a little more, so will the supply chains.
1: Yeah, reasonable alternatives usually available. I was, people would right. ask because they knew I was in the business. They would say, well, well why were they out of toilet paper for four weeks? To say, well, well you understand-
0: that's a bad one to be out of. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you understand that toilet paper cubes out really quickly, right? In other words, on a pallet, yeah. it doesn't take a lot. By the yeah. way, they don't make any money on it, right? And the plant that was making it was running at probably 98% efficiency before you decided to buy six yeah. cartons of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they can't just like turn the, the spigot a little faster and make it and right. make the production grow. Doesn't, right. doesn't work that way to figure it out. What else is on the horizon in terms of, I think, issue based or whatever? Are we certainly plant for the environment? Water looks like it's going to be super critical in the not yeah. too distant future. Yeah, uh, you're seeing also people pay
0: a lot of attention to working conditions. So, you know, you're right. seeing okay. a lot of yep. new u- unionization happening in, in in retail. You're seeing some unionization happen in manufacturing plants, uh, and part of that is because you're seeing such high levels of employment, and so the workers have yep. more power. Yep. And to me, that's not a bad thing. I think it, but so it just means consumers will. So you are seeing a little more exposés about, you know, bad working conditions at companies that profess to be, you know, Friend- more friendly work- to the worker. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I think there will be more scrutiny there and just a little more transparency is, is always helpful.
1: Yeah. I don't think that will harm us much at all. Yeah. And the wage rise is not going to be a real harm either. It's not, you know, it, it helps all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Seth, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about, we have a segment on the program, we call it Words to Grow By and it's basically you as an entrepreneur and a very successful entrepreneur multiple successful entrepreneur sharing a little bit of wisdom with the folks out there that are you know swinging for the fences <laughs> um, it can it can be a word it can be mm-hmm. a quote from some mark twain whatever you, but just something to to leave with them you got something for us
0: i do yeah this is a quote the, the the source is kind of funny this was a quote i heard when i was growing up from a cartoon show called fat albert so i don't i don't even know if that's still on anymore but he, <laughs> anyway i remember Yeah. yeah, It was Bill Cosby. And the quote was, he who throws mud only loses ground. And so what it means is, you know, it's going to be easy. You're in a competitive environment to, you know, cast negative thoughts or negative, say negative things about a competitor or about uh, other people. And it just doesn't, it's not productive. You know, there's other ways to, to compete. Yeah absolutely. And it, you, you really say more about yourself when you, when you, when you behave that way. So <laughs> yeah, I would say resist the temptation to throw mud at others
1: and think what you can do to lift yourself up. Absolutely. Well, Hey, I appreciate so much you taking the time. I know you're, you're super busy. It was great having you on the program and would love maybe sometime down the road. We can talk again about, you know, what's happening with each change and, and, and how things are, how things are evolving. Great to be with you, Steve. Thanks. It's just awesome. Thanks so much. And thanks, by the way, to everybody else out there for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. Thanks always to NextLevelBrands.com for production assistance. Excuse me. We're always grateful for feedback, any comments we get. If you have an idea for a show topic or special guest, please feel free to let us know. I'm Steve Clear. We'll see you all next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next. With two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.